Well, hey, I have a story of a hero to tell you about. And it's the story of Joseph. And, uh, of course, this story points to the greatest story and to the greatest hero, Jesus. And that's why I'm excited about this story. Now, um, one of the things that is kind of my heart in doing uh, characters from the Old Testament and kind of doing it chronologically in order is that I really want you guys to be familiar with God's story, with the Old Testament, and the flow of the story. And that's why we're doing this. And so I also have this commitment to kind of read passages from uh, the story. And the story of Joseph is in Genesis 37 through 50. And it's a big portion of uh, Genesis in the first book of the Bible. So we, last week we talked about Abraham and uh, the father of faith and uh, the friend of God. And, uh, and how God began his big mission of bringing his son to earth started with Abraham. And that he made this promise to Abraham that through him there would be a descendant, a child that would bring blessing to all nations on the earth. And of course we know today that was Jesus. So um, a lot of the Old Testament is following the story of Abraham's descendants. So we're jumping to Joseph and uh, he's actually a great-grandson of Abraham. So uh, let me just catch you up just a little bit. Abraham married Sarah. They had a son named Isaac who was uh, the child of the promise. And then uh, after him, uh, Isaac married uh, Rebekah, and they had twins. And the twins were Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau didn't get along so well. And uh, Esau, even though they were twins, Esau was born first. Um, but they were told uh, by God that Jacob would be the leader and that Jacob would be the one where the promise would come through him and through his descendants. And um, Jacob was, put it nicely, a, a deceiver. And, uh, and he tricked his brother twice, tricked his father in the process, uh, and made his brother so mad uh, that his brother wanted to kill him. And so Jacob left. Now I'm telling you a little bit about Jacob because uh, this is Joseph's dad. And I want you to know a little bit about Joseph's family and why he had such trouble with his brothers, as Sherry was telling the kids. Um, Jake, uh, Jacob um, sends his son, or, sorry, getting, backing up here. Isaac sends his son Jacob away so he doesn't get killed by his brother. He goes off to live with his uh, uncle Laban. And while Jacob is with his uncle Laban, uh, he finds out his uncle's kind of a, a shrewd guy. And he's a little bit of a trickster too. And in fact, uh, when Jacob falls in love with, uh, with uh, his youngest daughter, Rachel, and wants to marry her, well, there's an older daughter. And the custom was in that culture is that the older daughter is married first. So Laban tricks Jacob, and he ends up marrying Leah first. And eventually he marries Rachel, the one he actually loves. Well, Rachel and Leah, this starts a tumultuous relationship between those two sisters so you got two brothers who don't get along, and you got two sisters who don't get along. And these sisters, of course, want to uh, have Jacob's attention, and uh, they think they can do that through children. And so they end up having this baby war. Who can have the most babies? And, uh, and Rachel isn't doing too well in the baby race, and so she employs the services of a maidservant, and Jacob doesn't object. Uh, and, and then Leah does the same tactic, and lo and behold, Jacob has four wives, and ends up with 12 sons and many daughters. And so uh, this is an interesting family here. And among 
these 12 sons, their descendants end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, you'll hear about them more as we go in and tell more of the stories following in the Old Testament. But because uh, Jacob loves Rachel more than he loves Leah, he really favors the two children that she had uh, from her own womb. And that's Joseph and Benjamin. And they are the youngest of all the 12 brothers, Benjamin being the youngest, Joseph the second youngest. And um, it's not hard to be uh, the favorite in Jacob's family because just like Jacob kind of is is a deceiver and a wild guy, uh, so were his sons. Uh, Reuben, the oldest, uh, sleeps with one of his dad's wives, gets in some trouble there. Um, Levi and Simeon, the second, two oldest, uh, second and third oldest, uh, out of vengeance for a sister, they end up slaughtering a whole village. Uh, and then the fourth oldest, Judah, um, well, he, he's thinking that he's sleeping with a prostitute, but it ends up that it's really his daughter-in-law. Uh, and that's another crazy story. So, um, but just to tell you, this family, this family is kind of, well, not perfect. And so I just want you to know, as we're talking about these heroes of the Old Testament, I don't want you to get the idea that these people are perfect and all shiny and polished, okay? And the Bible is very clear about that. But yet God still chooses to keep his promise and work through these people, just like he does with us. So uh, Jacob, uh, he's with Laban. He has these 12 sons, four wives, many daughters, and he ends up that God tells him, go back to the land of Canaan. That's where... Uh, I've, I've given you this land, your descendants this land. So he, on the way, encounters God. Uh, and in this encounter of God, he's, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord and, and won't let go. And, and the angel touches his hip and he goes out of place. And Jacob forever walks with this limp. But not only a limp, he is given a new name by God. It's Israel. And Israel means struggles with God, which Jacob has done most of his life. Till this point. And something seems to change in him. You don't hear much about the troubles of Jacob any longer. And it's, it, it's like all of a sudden, with every step that Jacob makes with that out-of-place hip, it's just a reminder of God's mercy in his life. That despite his troubling and crazy life and disobedience and, and all that, that God still blesses him and still loves him and still chooses him. And so on his way back to Canaan, guess who he meets? His brother Esau comes out to meet him. And what happens? Esau welcomes him back with open arms. And Jacob has sent all his, he's got all his children around him and they're all watching. And they see these two brothers who've been at war basically with each other, embrace each other, weep and forgive one another. And Jacob goes on with a different life. Now, this is the world that Joseph is born into. And uh, it's crazy, but again, he's observed something in his father. And there's something that Jacob has done that has impressed Joseph about faith in God. And I'm not sure what it is because it's not recorded there in the scriptures. But you'll see in Joseph's life that he hangs on to his faith in God just like Jacob hung on to that angel and wouldn't let go. He said, I won't let go until you bless me. But despite the changes in Jacob's life, he still does this favoritism thing, which is a real problem in this family line. Uh, and it, it's, it starts with a coat, a special coat that's given to Joseph that's a beautiful, richly ornamented coat that no one else in the family has, 
only Joseph. And it starts with some dreams that start the story of Joseph and the trouble that he gets into. But it's also some dreams that really lift Joseph out of his troubles. And so we're going to start reading from Genesis 37. And it begins the story of Joseph. And, you, and um, let's see. And, and again, you're going to get a little picture into this, this dysfunctional family. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and sons of Zilpha and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Mm. Brothers are not being too responsible. Joseph is. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Who do you think you are? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So, Joseph is around 17 years old when this all happens. Now, I have some interesting kids in my family, and there's some interesting relationships that get played out there, too. Not as complicated as, as you know, Jacob's family. But um, there was a point where my kids, they were all putting signs on their door, you know, where it says, keep out, danger, uh, if you come in here, you'll die, and things like that. And, uh, and my youngest son, who was about three or four at the time, uh, wasn't real good with spelling or writing or anything at, at the time, but he wanted to put a sign on his door. And he wanted to be like big brother and big sisters. And so he came to Sherry and he says, Mom, how do you spell bow down to me? <laughs> Just want you to know that Alec has no problems with self-esteem at all. Well, it's cute when you're four years old, but when you're 17, it doesn't fly very well in the family when you say things like that. And Joseph, uh, you know, whether he's just naive or just really excited about these dreams, I'm not sure what, or if he's just a little unwise and, and, and just zealous, I'm not sure what Joseph's deal was, but he shares this with his brothers and his parents and, and ends up not turning out so good. Uh, his father sends him out on a trip to uh, check up on his brothers while they're tending the fields. And again, you can probably see some favoritism there. You know, how come Joseph isn't out working in the fields with them, uh, tending the sheep? Well, he's dad's favorite. He's hanging out with dad. What was happening when he was hanging out with dad? I don't know. I wonder if Jacob was telling him stories about God. I'm not sure. But he goes out to check on his brothers, and they see him in the distance, and they say, Let's take care of that dreamer. Let's show him. Let's, 
Let's kill them. I mean, they were that angry. They hated him that much. Now there are a few brothers that actually had a conscience, and they said, well, hey, let's not kill him. There's a cistern, this big pit in the ground. Let's just throw him down in there, and we'll think of something else. So they do that. They take him. They, they beat him. They rip up his robe, and they throw him down in there. And uh, lo and behold, as they're sitting there thinking of what they're going to do with him, um, these slave traders come by, and they're on their way to Egypt. And they go, hey, let's sell him as a slave, and he'll be gone. We'll be rid of him forever. And then, you know, these guys don't really think out things very clearly. They go, well, what are we going to tell our dad? And, and they say, oh, well, we'll just soak the robe with some animal blood, and we'll tell him, fresh this animal, must have got him. And so that's what they do. Joseph sold to these uh, slave traders. He's bound, goes off to Egypt, and Jacob gets the report that his son has been killed by a wild animal. And he weeps, and he thinks his son is dead, and Jacob wants to die. And uh, the story goes on, and we get more about Joseph and what's happening to him. And we don't hear much about the brothers after this. But in Genesis 39, verses 2 through 10, it says this. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph as he prospered as a slave. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph, Joseph's care, left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. And trouble just does not leave this guy alone, does it? He's just trying to do his job. Well, but he refused. Joseph says this, With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has in, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Well, even though Joseph is a slave, he rises up in, in Potiphar's household, household pretty quickly. And uh, things change for him. Now, we know that he's here for at least a couple of years because it says the Lord's blessing was not only on the household but in the fields. So how do you know if there's blessing in the fields? You've got to have a growing season happen at least once. So that's, some time has gone by here. And, uh, but enter Potiphar's wife. And uh, she's got the hots for Joseph. And she offers herself to him. And what does he say? He doesn't say, man, we'll get big trouble with Potiphar. You know, I'm going to get fired. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He acknowledges God. And what is this? I mean, he's, he's been betrayed by his family, the family that taught him about this God, and thrown into this other country, another culture with foreign gods, and yet he's still hanging on to his faith. 
And he says, no, this, is, this isn't wrong because it's going to hurt Potiphar or whatever. He says, this is, I can't do this because this is a sin against God. Something that Jacob, Jacob did a lot of things wrong, but Jacob did something right with Joseph because the faith was passed on to this kid and he's hanging on to it and he's not letting go. And I know for me and for some of you dads and moms out there, we do a lot of stupid things. But I know probably the one thing that we really want is to be able to pass on that faith to our kids, that they hang on to it when we're not in the picture any longer. So, Joseph is hanging on. And, of course, Potiphar's wife, she doesn't give up. And she creates this little snare where she sends out all the servants and she tricks Joseph and says, hey, come to bed with me again. He says, no way. And he runs to leave. She grabs his robe. The robe stays in her hand. And then she's embarrassed and she's angry. So what does she do? She lies. Says, he tried to rape me. Tells the story. Potiphar believes it and then throws him into prison. But not any prison. Puts him in prison is for all of Pharaoh's prisoners, the king's prisoners. So, and I just wonder if Joseph, while he's sitting in this dungeon, I wonder if he's sitting there thinking about those dreams he had about his brothers and about his family. And he's going, what in the world was that about? Here I am so far away from my family, far away from my homeland. I'm in, I was a slave. Now I'm a prisoner stuck in a dungeon. And those dreams mean absolutely nothing right now. Well, I wonder for you, have you ever, ever felt like you've been so far away from your dreams that they were nowhere near? Well, I was, uh, had an experience like that with Joseph, like Joseph, and uh, I was uh, in Kansas, and uh, my wife and I, we had, uh, when we first met, we had started working together, and we really enjoyed working together, wanted to do that again, and after some touring around in 1999, uh, we saw out in the east kind of the spiritual need in the northeast, and we told God, hey, God, if you would ever ask us to go to the east, we would go, and we would serve there, and it'd, it'd be really great if, you know, if you'd, we could work together. And uh, lo and behold, uh, this organization called and offered us both jobs. And so we ended up in Buffalo, New York, uh, working with this uh, Youth for Christ organization that had this super conference. And uh, with this super conference, they, uh, uh, it was about 5,000 kids that came and did some amazing campus ministry, which was right up our alley and what we had been involved in before. And uh, we were looking at this going, wow, this sounds so cool. You know, and this is this well-funded organization. And and, you know, Sherry, she'll be doing the programming. I'll be writing curriculum. And, and uh, then we get to do this fun thing of running this weekly radio show. And, and then we're going to be helping the super conference get started in different cities around the country. And so it's like, wow, we could really be doing what we love to do and be a part of, you know, making, making ripples for God's kingdom and for young people. And that was our heartbeat. So it was like, wow, this is, this is the dream. Let's go. Let's do it. So we go. And right as we're moving, and right as we get there, our daughter is, loses her sight temporarily, and she's diagnosed with MS. And so we're going through all these tests and hospitals and, and really confused and going, what's going on? And, and uh, of course, the bills mount up. 
and uh, with some other things, debt builds up. And then uh, after that, um, 9-11 hits and uh, affects the whole economy of the state of New York. And so the donations, the regular donors, they stop giving to the Youth for Christ organization. And uh, things drop and things are getting tight and everybody's looking forward to this super conference. And not only because of the great things that are going to happen, but man, it's going to probably financially help them. Well, it happens, this super conference, every Christmas break. We're in Buffalo. There's lots of snow. And two days before, eight feet of snow dumped down. And people don't come to the conference. Only half of the attendees come. And then they're in this financial bind. And about six months after we moved there, my wife quits. And then a few months later, I'm laid off. And I'm in a place with no money, in debt, can't even leave. And I thought I was following God's path and what I was supposed to be doing. And I kind of wonder, God, what, what am I here for? What am I doing? And it was around this time that uh, my kids, uh, my oldest was about eight years old, and uh, they were watching this animated film by uh, a Spielberg produced, and it was about Joseph, King of Dreams. And there's this scene where um, Joseph is in the dungeon, and, uh, and the attitude of Joseph uh, that's portrayed in this song really, I believe, portrays accurately the attitude of Joseph that he had, uh, probably... In the, in the story, in the biblical story. And it really moved my heart, and I knew it was the attitude that I needed to adopt in that moment. I knew that God was with me, and, uh, and he really did some amazing things in my life during that time where I was painting and hauling trash uh, for a document destruction company, and, and I really hate painting. Uh, nothing against painters, but just, I, I hate it. Uh, but in those moments... Um, God was really preparing me and shaping me for some things that were ahead. And uh, I can't tell you the rest of my story, but maybe you can, uh, you can ask me out for coffee or lunch sometime and I'll tell you. But I, I need to tell you the rest of, the story, of Joseph's story. And uh, Joseph uh, says at the end when he was thrown in prison, it says, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And in the next verse in chapter 40 says this, sometime later. Sometime later. We don't know exactly how long he was in prison and how long he was in, Pharaoh, in Potiphar's household, but we know that he was 17 when he entered Egypt and he was 30 when he got out of prison. So it's a period of 13 years. So it's possible that he maybe spent four or five years in Potiphar's house and maybe eight years in prison. But um, obviously Joseph uh, had some abilities and gifts in serving, administration, and leading. And he didn't lay those things down because he was a slave. And he didn't lay those things down because he was in prison. And the other thing is that he had this peculiar gift that was a little unusual. Not many people had it. And it was this gift of dreams, and not only having dreams, but interpreting dreams. And while he's there, uh, you know, he doesn't forget that either. He had dreams in the promised land. Now there's some dreams that happen in prison. And it happens with a couple of prisoners that are servants of Pharaoh, the wine steward 
and the baker. And Joseph, as he's doing his duties as uh, kind of the warden's junior assistant there, uh, he notices these two guys and their, their faces are distraught. And he asks them, hey, what's wrong? And they say, well, we just had these really troubling dreams. And, and Joseph says, well, hey, he acknowledges God in this moment. And he says, well, God is the giver of all interpretation of dreams. Tell me your dream. And so these guys proceed to tell him. And Joseph goes on. He says uh, to the Weinster, do you want to know what it means? Yeah. And tells him, and it's in this great ending, in three days you're going to be back in service, king. And, and uh, Joseph says, but hey, do me this favor. When you get back there, tell Pharaoh about my case. Tell him that I'm here and, and I'm innocent. And, uh, and then the baker is listening in. He's going, hey, tell me my dream. Not so favorable story. Three days you're going to be hung. Well, the dreams come true. The interpretations come true. And uh, the cupbearer goes back to serve the king. But guess what? He forgets Joseph. For how long? Two years. You know, it's at this point where you go, Joseph, man, you really needed a business card or a website or something. <laughs> man, that is rough. That is rough to be forgotten two years. But Joseph, he continues doing his thing there in prison. And uh, he uh, goes on and uh, he's serving, doing his thing. But something happens in the palace. Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret it. None of his wise men, none of his magicians. And so that's when the wine steward remembers. Ding. Hey, there's this guy in prison when you were really mad at me, Pharaoh. And uh, he could interpret dreams. And he did it for me and for Baker. And... Uh, <laughs> he says, okay, well, you know, come on up. Uh, let's bring Joe up here. So they bring Joe up to clean him up and, and uh, tells the dream. Seven years of uh, this and that. Well, okay, that's the interpretation. I'm sorry. But he tells his dream. And then Joseph, again, acknowledges God. He says, well, hey, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And he tells Pharaoh what the dream means. And at the same time, Joseph is kind of shrewd. I mean, he's not, he's no dummy. And he, and he drops in this little suggestion. This isn't part of the interpretation, but he says, I think it would be a good thing, Pharaoh, if you appointed a director of agriculture for Egypt. And, uh, and uh, Pharaoh says, that's not a bad idea. I wonder who that could be. And, and everybody says, how about this guy? And so Joseph is appointed, and the dream comes true. Seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. And by the time the famine is hit, Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. The same thing has happened. Pharaoh starts seeing he's trustworthy. He hands everything, everything over to him. And during the famine, it's not just Egypt that starts suffering, but other countries around them. And guess who comes to beg for some food and bows down before Joseph? His brothers. Yep. The dream comes true. But it's not any way that anyone imagined. And I'm sure if God would have told Joseph the pathway to the outcome of that dream, Joseph would have said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not taking that dream. I don't want to go through all that to get to there. But God didn't do that with him. God directed him, and Joseph walked through it. Now, Joseph, he tests his brothers. He tests them to see if they're repentant of their past crime against him. And through some little maneuvering, he finds out that they are. In fact, they're very sorrowful for what happened, and they're very sorrowful for the pain it caused their dad. And so Joseph finds this out, and then Joseph reveals who he is to his brothers. 
But not only that, Joseph reveals that he doesn't have an embittered heart. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's a big statement. That's a big faith statement. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Well, so God preserves the descendants of Abraham through Joseph. Now, Joseph... He's included in this covenant, in this, this promise, this Abraham's covenant. But he's not, it's not through him that the child of promise is going to come. It's not through him that the descendants of David and Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. It doesn't come through Joseph. It comes through Judah. But you see, Joseph is there to make sure his brother Judah lives. And God had to do that. You see, God had a covenant to keep with these people. And he had a mission to bring a son to this world. And to do that, he had to keep these people alive. And how does he do that? Through Joseph. So, um, but the blessings, even though the blessing of this promised child hasn't come, the blessing through Abraham of all nations is already beginning. You see, because not just were Abraham's descendants preserved and their lives saved, but all of Egypt was saved. And the surrounding nations were saved because of what God did through Joseph. You see, God is making his name great. And his glory is going out. And he's starting to lay the foundations for redeeming all mankind. Right here in Genesis. Right here in the first book of the Bible. The story. The mission of God begins. Now, Here's where the story all comes together for us here today. Here is the so what. What does the story Joseph mean to me today? Well, while in prison, Joseph, you know, probably wondered at those crazy dreams he had of his family bound down to him. But unbeknownst to him, God was blessing and humbling him at the same time. Okay, I get the humbling part. He was made a slave and he was made a prisoner. That's humbling. The blessing part, what, what do you mean by that? Okay, the, the words that the Bible uses to describe Joseph while he's a slave is that he prospered him, that he was blessed, he was successful. The same words were used when he was in prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I would use those words to describe a slave or a prisoner. Say, that's successful. Oh, great blessings. God is prospering you. I don't know if I would use that, but God did do that for him. He was blessing and humbling him at the same time. And in the midst of hardships, the Bible says that the Lord was with 
Joseph. He was with them in slavery. He was with them in the prison. And I want you to know this, and I want you to hear this. Just because you endure and encounter hardships, it doesn't mean that the Lord isn't with you. Just because you suffer, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or deserted you. You know what? When life is a struggle, it doesn't mean that God is evil and God is bad and he's left you all alone. It's not the truth. Some reason we have this idea that God's plan, God's big mission is to make life easy for us here on earth. That's not God's mission. God's mission is to redeem all mankind. And that may not be easy to do. In fact, it wasn't easy for the Son of God when he hung on the cross. It was a very difficult thing to do. So just know that, that God is concerned about his big mission and fulfilling that. Now, the fact is, is that in Joseph's story, God was directing him into hardships. I know sometimes we pray, God, protect me from temptations, protect me from hardships, protect me from those tough things in life. But God may not always answer those prayers. He, he didn't do that for Joseph. He directed Joseph into hardships. God arranged his sale into slavery, not just to any slave traders, but to some Ishmaelites that were going to Egypt. That was arranged because God had to get him to Egypt. God arranged his purchase, not by just any person in Egypt, but by Potiphar, who happened to be a high-ranking official in Egypt. God arranged not just any prison for Joseph to be thrown into, but Pharaoh's prison, where the king's prisoners were kept. God had some arrangements. And all of this is for a bigger purpose than just to elevate Joseph and to fulfill his personal dreams. It was to save many lives. That wasn't in the dream, was it? Saving many lives. But that was the big plan. That was the big purpose. And sometimes we've got to lift our eyes up off of the personal dreams and look at the big plan and the big mission. You might be going through hardships now, but did you ever think, did you ever think that it has nothing to do with you, the hardships? That it may be God just maneuvering you into a place where you can help or bless someone else? It's possible. Now, I know in God's economy, he never wastes time. He never wastes arrangements of people and places and circumstances. So yeah, God was shaping Joseph in those moments. And I think that maybe we need to learn some of the things that Joseph learned. You know, Joseph used his gifts even when he was in the pits. He didn't say, man, you, God, this is all your fault. I'm here in this troubling, terrible place. So forget it. I'm taking my toys and going home. None for you. You know, that's not the case. Joseph kept using his gifts. And in fact, he also identified that special and unusual gift and used that. And he used it in the promised land. He used it in prison. And he used it in the palace, interpreting those dreams. And he acknowledged God each time he did that. Joseph was also faithful to do a good job for everyone, everyone he worked with. He used his gifts at every opportunity. In fact, remember when he was in prison and doing the, the job, the warden's job. And who knows what the warden was doing? Wow, was he doing anything? I guess he was taking a vacation or something. But Joseph was doing the work of the warden, and I'm sure he's pretty busy. But at some point, as he's walking along, he notices the distraught faces of two prisoners. Why would a busy man notice that? I don't know, but Joseph slowed down enough to notice. 
And he not only slowed down enough to notice, but then he asked, and they told him, well, we had these troubling dreams. And he slowed down enough to say, well, tell me. Tell me about your troubles. Tell me about your dreams. Maybe we need to slow down enough. Maybe God's trying to do some things around us because it was that opportunity that God gave him that again led him from the prison to the palace. You know, Joseph and his story is an amazing story of enduring hardships and suffering. And I I guess this is the biggest part that I want you to see in Joseph's story is that after jealous family members, after being betrayed by his family, after being sold as property, after being tempted after being falsely accused, after being imprisoned, after all that, Joseph still trusted God and he still put his confidence in God. You know what? Other people thought Joseph was down for the count. There's nobody could bounce back from a life like that. But Joseph maintained his hope in God and he's offered, he offered his best back to God wherever God put him. And he acknowledged God in slavery, he acknowledged God in prison, and he acknowledged God before Pharaoh. And in the end, when he faced his betrayers, when his brothers were bowing down to him, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He not not only forgives his family at that point, but then he provides for them. His faith endured even to help him to see things in a different way from God's perspective and to be able to forgive those who wounded and hurted him, hurt him. And here is the picture that we have of Joseph that gives us the true and better picture of our Lord, Jesus. Like Joseph, sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he forgives us, his betrayers, who sinned against him and those who recognize their hunger and their need and come and bow down before him will find mercy and be given you know what not only will Jesus forgive he'll also provide and give you every spiritual blessing that you need as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and that he'll provide everything you need for living a godly life as 2 Peter says The next moment, we're, we're going to be singing a song. And as we sing that song, I, I know sometimes we do different kinds of invitations. We do invitations where you respond to the gospel, say yes to Jesus. And, and there's responding to um, repentance and, and turning back to God. And, and in this moment, I, I don't want to dictate whatever that might be. But I just want it to be an invitation to respond to the word of God. And whatever you heard today, and whatever you, God was speaking to you. And if that might be just responding in your heart, sitting in your seat, just talking to him in prayer silently, or it might mean that, that you, need a, you want to physically demonstrate that, you want to come down here and you just want to kneel and have a moment with you and God to have some accountability with others here in this congregation. Maybe, maybe it's you, you want to meet with somebody, another Christian brother, a Christian sister, and talk with them because you need, some, you need some insight. You need some help to walk through a tough, navigate some tough, tough waters, whatever it may be. During this next song, I'd like us all to stand. So you can go ahead and stand right now. 
And during this time, I want you to respond how you want to respond to the Word of God.